So we are studying the book of Nehemiah, and, and we called this sermon Great Things. And it wasn't supposed to be a series. It was just supposed to be one sermon, but we couldn't fit it all into one sermon. And so today we're doing an unplanned part two. This is an unplanned part two uh, of this study of the story of Nehemiah. And, and so we're going to continue to dig into this concept of, of Nehemiah building the wall. And of course, that's what we're most familiar with. But if you didn't know, Nehemiah did more than just build a wall. And in a couple of weeks, doctors Mark and Val are going to preach on the continuing story of Nehemiah and what happened after he finished building the wall. So, so we're going to get more of Nehemiah here in just a couple of weeks. So let's take a look at this. We're studying the life of Nehemiah so that we can see what does it take to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God, to accomplish great things. And we started from Nehemiah chapter 6. Verses 15 and 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month Elul in 52 days. Walls that had sat in ruins for 144 years were rebuilt in 52 days. And he says, when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And if you'll remember from last week, that word accomplished refers to the creative power of God working through our labor, right? It's God producing something that only he can produce. So you can see in your notes which you can find your notes inside your bulletin, or you can find it attached to this video or attached to this podcast on our website. You can see in your notes, this is our definition of great things. It's when we put our efforts into what God has put on our hearts, he produces things through our lives that only he can do. So we have to put the effort in. We can't just sit around and wish for it. We can't just sit around and want it really bad. We have to put the work in. But if God puts something on our hearts and we put the effort into it, God's going to come through and produce something supernatural through our efforts. That's what it means to do great things. And obviously we're looking at the story of Nehemiah and this wall that was built because rebuilding this wall was the great thing that God had put upon the heart of Nehemiah. And I tried to look this up and I couldn't find exactly the dimensions of the wall that Nehemiah built, but... These are the walls that were rebuilt almost 2,000 years later, somewhere around the 1500s AD. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem again, fairly similar to what Nehemiah had rebuilt. And those walls are two and a half miles in length. They're 40 feet high. They're eight feet thick, thick enough that people can walk along the top of them. And they include 34 towers and eight gates. All right, so we're talking two and a half miles of wall that are 40 feet high, eight feet thick, plus you've got the towers that stand much higher than the walls, plus you have the gates that you had to build into the walls, and they did all of that in 52 days, in 52 days. Come on, they try to repair a bridge here on Kauai, and it takes two and a half years. Come on, they did this in 52 days. This is a great thing. Check out this quote from William Carey. He said, we need to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. We need to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Why is this significant? Because William Carey 
is known as the father of modern missions. He was a British missionary that went to India and sowed his life into the soil of India, building schools for the impoverished. I believe he moved to India in 1793. He built the first university that actually issued degrees in the nation of India. He gave his life. And what did he say? He said, I'm going to expect God to do great things, but I'm going to attempt to do great things. And that's our challenge today, Kauai Bible Church, is can we just attempt to do something great for God? When was the last time we just put ourselves out there and said, I'm just going to try to do something great? Man, if I fall on my face, at least I fall on my face for the Lord, right? If I come up short, at least I gave it my all. You know, they say if you shoot for the moon and miss, you'll still end up among the stars. Come on. We just got to attempt something great. We just got to attempt something great. We've just got to give it a try. We've got to get a passion that rises up inside of us that says, I want to do something great. John 14, 12, Jesus said this. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Jesus says the things that I do, he will do. Well, what did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He preached the gospel. He loved the poor. He restored the broken. And Jesus said, the things that, you, that I do, you will do also. But check this out. He says, you're going to do even greater things. Why? Because he's going to go and be an advocate for us in the throne room of the Father. You're going to do even greater things. So if we have this promise from Jesus, why don't we just attempt to do great things? I was actually on the phone this week with another missionary to India. And actually, I'm going to try to bring her and her team in to come and introduce them to the church maybe sometime next month. But she said this to me, and it just struck me because I'd been working on this sermon. And she said this to me. She said, you know, Pastor, I'm just a little old lady who just said yes to the Lord. And she ended up doing something amazing in India that she never believed that she could do. I'm just a little old lady who said yes to the Lord. Come on, can we attempt to do great things? So we got into this last week, and there were four things that God spoke to me through the story of Nehemiah about accomplishing great things. We got through three of them last week, right? So just a quick recap. Number one, great things are born from passion and brokenness. There needs to be a passion that rises up inside of us. When Nehemiah heard that the walls were broken down and the people of Jerusalem were in great distress, he wept and he mourned because his heart was broken. And he fasted and prayed because he was passionate about something. Number two, great things are launched from a foundation of knowing God and his word. Listen, it's one thing to want to do a great thing. But if we don't have a foundation of knowing God, that great thing's not going to last. Right? Your passion will take you further than your character can sustain you. And so we need a foundation that's going to sustain us as we try to do great things, which means we need to press into knowing the Lord and his word. We need to press into the secret place and quiet time with God. We need to study the word and dig into the word and allow the word to marinate within us. We need to walk in relationship with the Lord. And number three, great things come from those who are unashamed to ask for what they need. 
Right? Nehemiah went to God in fasting and prayer and asked for success. Nehemiah went to the king and asked for permission and resources. And then Nehemiah went to the people of God and asked them to join him. He was unashamed to ask for what he needed. There's something that happens when you take a dream that is bubbling up inside of you and you begin to speak it out loud. And you begin to tell people about it. And you begin to ask people for help. And you begin to ask people for resources. And you begin to ask people to join you. It takes a dream. Listen, a dream that's in secret is never going to come to pass. Because as long as it's in secret, we'll never be accountable for it. But when we bring it out into the light and start asking people, now we're accountable to a dream. We're accountable to a great thing. And we're going to be called to follow through on that. So let's get into number four. So number four basically turned into a whole sermon all by itself. Number four is this. Great things aren't fulfilled until we have endured a great attack. Great things aren't fulfilled until we have endured a great attack. And what we see in the life of Nehemiah is that within those 52 days until they finished building that wall, is they had to endure great attacks from the enemy. I went to the Master's Commission. That's where I first did my ministry training as a young man when I had given my life to the Lord. And my pastor in the Master's Commission was a man named Lloyd Ziegler. And I don't know if this is his quote or if he took it from somebody else, but I'm going to give him credit for it because he's the one that spoke it into my life. He said this, A great anointing and a great assignment will always bring a great attack. A great anointing and a great assignment will always bring a great attack. So listen, when we set out to attempt to do something great for God and we're expecting something great from God, we also need to expect the attack. It shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't catch us off guard. We should expect it because a great anointing brings a great attack. Listen, as we read the story of Nehemiah, we read about all these enemies that started coming against them. And there were a lot of enemies. There were three of them that were specifically mentioned, right? We have Sanballat, the Horrorites. We've got Tobiah, the Ammonites. And we've got Geshem, the Arab, right? So we've got these three main guys that are named. But there were lots of other enemies that were also a part of what was coming against Nehemiah and Jerusalem. And here's the thing. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. So what we have here is Jerusalem, or, or the southern kingdom of Judah, was set amongst a bunch of other nations. And when they had gotten carried away into captivity, all these other nations moved in because they were very happy to claim the land that had been left desolate, right? And so you had all these other nations that wanted to move in and lay claim to the land of Israel. If we be honest, we still see this happening today. This is not something that's been resolved. It is still happening today. And so all of these lands began to move in. Well, when, when the kingdom of Persia finally released the Israelites to return to Judah and, and to begin to rebuild Jerusalem, none of the other nations were happy about it because they wanted to claim that land. They wanted to claim the land that was intended for God's people. But here's the thing. When the walls were laying in ruins and the people were in constant distress, because as long as you didn't have any walls around your city, the enemy could come anytime he wanted to and have his way with you, right? 
Listen, the enemy wasn't angry when the walls were just laying there. The enemy didn't attack them when they were doing nothing. But when they began to rebuild the walls, that's when the enemy got angry. When they began to rebuild the walls, that's when the enemy attacked them. So a great anointing and a great assignment will always bring a great attack. When you're sitting around doing nothing, the devil's not mad at you. He's not going to mess with you because you're not messing with his kingdom. And you're not doing anything to advance God's kingdom. So why would he mess with you? He's got plenty of work to do. He's got plenty of people that are on fire for God that he needs to mess with and discourage and try to slow down and attack. So when you're sitting around doing nothing, he's not going to mess with you. But the moment you step out and decide, I'm going to attempt something great for God, and I'm going to expect something great from God, the moment you step out, now you're encroaching on his kingdom. Now you're advancing the kingdom of God against him, and now he's going to get angry and attack you. The attack comes because you start doing something. So let's not be surprised. Let's not be caught off guard. We need to expect the attack. And as we read in chapters 4 and chapter 6 of Nehemiah, the attacks come in the form of mockery, right? The first thing they start doing is mocking them. Oh, these guys think they can build a wall. These guys don't know how to build a wall. They don't know what they're doing. And then the other guy steps in and he's like, yeah, a baby fox is going to run into the wall and the whole thing's going to fall down. That's how weak their wall is. Their wall is awful, right? So they come with mockery. When you try to do something great for God, don't be surprised when mockery comes your way. Someone's going to try to mock you. What do you think you're doing? You don't know what you're doing. You can't do that. It might come in the form of discouragement. You're never going to finish. You don't have enough resources. You don't have the education to do that. It might come in the form of threats. If you try to do that, I'm leaving. If you try to do that, I'm not sticking around. If you try to do that, I'm going to do this. It might come in the form of manipulation. The enemy is going to try to manipulate you, try to fool you and get you into getting off track. It might come in the form of infiltration, right? Sanballat, the Horrorites, he had his grandson marry the granddaughter of the high priest. Why? just so he could infiltrate Jerusalem, just so he could be on the inside and cause problems from the inside. The enemy's going to try to get inside your circle. He's going to try to get inside your inner circle and infiltrate and cause distraction and discouragement in your life. Or the attack might come in an all-out assault on your life, your family, or your home. It might come in the form of sickness. It might come in the form of trying to break your family apart. It might come in the form of trying to steal your job, steal your income, steal your resources, steal your ability to support your family. It might come in an attack on your body and your health. It might come in the form of sickness. There is going to be an attack that comes upon you. And a great thing will not be fulfilled until you have endured that great attack. And so I want to talk to you today about how Nehemiah endured that great attack. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 17. 
It says this, those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other hand holding a weapon. Come on, they were one hand doing the work and the other hand holding a weapon. So they were building a wall. So I imagine they had their trowel in one hand, right? They had their tool for for spreading whatever form of concrete they used to hold their wall together. They had their trowel in one hand, and they had their sword in the other hand. And so I want to talk today about the trowel and the sword. I want to talk today about the trowel, that there are some things we need to do in the physical, and I want to talk about the sword. There are some things we need to do in the spiritual. And if we aren't doing both things, we're not going to endure the attack that the enemy has brought against us. So let's break this down real quickly here. Let's talk about the trowel. Let's talk about the physical side of this. I got three things I want to encourage you with. The first is physical health. Is physical health. Yes, the enemy can attack us with sickness. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be taking care of our bodies. Right? This body is the temple of the Lord. This body is a gift from God for us to steward and to take care of. Right? It's the only one he's going to give us until eternity. And then in eternity, he's going to give us one that doesn't wear out. But guess what? This one does. And if we want to do great things for God, generally, unless you're in the rare circumstance where you can actually work and that your job that you get paid for is your ministry, praise God for that. But for most of us, that's not the case. What does that mean? That means that to do great things for God, you've got to have the energy to not only go to work or go to school, to take care of your family, to nurture your marriage, to do all of those things. You've got to have the energy to serve the kingdom of God above all those responsibilities, right? And if at the end of our workday, we're exhausted and we just, the kids are annoying us because we're tired and we don't have any energy and I don't even want to do the dishes. So how am I going to do a great thing for God because I'm worn out all the time? No, we have got to take care of our physical bodies. In Nehemiah 4.10, the people of Judah cried out, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. We want to do this great thing, but we're wearing out. So I'm going to encourage us. Listen, we have got to be good stewards of this body. If we're going to have the energy and the strength that we need to still go to work, go to school, take care of our families, but not use any of that as an excuse to not try to do something great for God, we need some extra energy and some extra strength. And so that might be our diet and what we're feeding our body with. That might be our exercise. And are we keeping our body moving? And are we keeping our muscles healthy? That might be rest. Are we getting the right amount of sleep at night? I know sometimes, my goodness, we feel lazy if we get the right amount of sleep. And yet the hours that we're awake are more effective if we get the right hours of being asleep. So are we sleeping enough? Come on. Max is eight hours. I'm a seven-hour guy, man. I am, I am at my peak at seven hours. Come on. And the older I'm getting, the earlier I wake up. It's so annoying. It's so annoying. Man, by the time I'm 60, I'm going to be up at three in the morning at this pace. It's, we got to take care of our physical bodies. We got to be good stewards of that, or we're never going to have the energy or the longevity to do the great thing for God. The second thing is developing skills. 
is developing skills. Whatever the great thing is, you might need to develop some skills to do that great thing, right? Now, here's the thing. When we talk about Nehemiah, we think about wall building, and we think, well, where did Nehemiah get the skills to build a wall? Check this out. Nowhere in this story does it say that Nehemiah did anything to build a wall. He didn't. He didn't do anything to build the wall. In fact, it says that while they were building the wall, he was standing there with the trumpeter standing by his side so that they could blow the trumpets in case of war at any given moment. Nehemiah did not actually build the wall. In chapter 3, it lists 42 teams of people that were all building the wall simultaneously. Nehemiah is not listed in any of those 42 teams of people. Why am I saying this? Because the skill that Nehemiah brought to this project was not wall building, it was leadership. He brought a vital leadership skill. Where did he learn that vital leadership skill? Remember, he was the cupbearer to the king of Persia, which is a much more important title than it sounds like. He developed the leadership skills serving in the court of a pagan king and then use those skills for the glory of God. So we have got to develop our leadership skills if we're going to lead. But if we're going to do something that takes a specific skill, we might have to learn something. If we're going to build a wall, we might have to learn about wall building. Man, at our Belong group on Wednesday night, we were joking about, man, you can learn how to do anything on YouTube. It's amazing. Right? I, I once had to replace the radiator in my van and I don't know much about cars at all and at first I wasn't trying to replace the radiator I was just trying to figure out what went wrong but as I was following the steps on the YouTube video next thing you know I've got the entire radiator out of my van sure enough there's a hole punctured in it Shannon's laughing at me from the kitchen window because I got parts for the van spread out all over the driveway then I got to go down to the parts store and buy a new radiator. So now I got to find a new video on YouTube because the first, first video only told me how to take everything out. It didn't tell me how to put it back in. Come on, we got to develop some skills. And if leadership is the skill that's needed, whatever the skill that's needed, Nehemiah knew what to do in every situation when they were under attack. Listen. Starting in verse 12 of chapter 4, it says, When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Right? So he's getting reports from families around the outskirts of Jerusalem. We're hearing the rumors of war. They're going to come up upon us. They're going to attack us. So what did Nehemiah do? Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places. And I stationed people and families with their swords, spears, and bows. Nehemiah knew what to do every decision he made worked out properly for the protection of the people and for the completion of the wall because he had developed his skills in leadership and the third thing i want to talk to you about in the physical realm is setting boundaries is setting boundaries nehemiah set boundaries about who he was going to listen to and who he was not going to listen to Right, Nehemiah 6.12, then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Right, I perceived this guy, 
is not here for me. He is here against me. He's lying to me. He's trying to manipulate me because Sanballat and Tobiah sent him to manipulate me. So you know what? I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to allow him in my inner circle. I am not going to invest time into him. I'm going to tell him that I'm done with him. He set a boundary because he needed to do great things for God. And to do great things for God, to say yes to one great thing, means sometimes we have to say no to some okay things. To say yes to a great thing means sometimes we have to say no to some good things. We've got to be able to set some boundaries in our life, right? We have got to be able to order and prioritize our time so that we can give our time to a great thing. We've got to be able to order and prioritize our relationships so that our relationships are moving us and that we're moving people towards God and not away from God. And so if a relationship is not moving me towards God and I'm not moving that person towards God, I might need to set a boundary in that relationship if that relationship is just producing toxic results in my life. If I'm going to accomplish great things for God, I have got to learn how to set some boundaries in my life. What do I need to say yes to and what do I need to say no to? And listen, I know as Christians, we get so guilty saying no. We just feel like it's our responsibility to say yes to everything. But listen, if you say yes to everything, you're not going to accomplish anything. We have got to know when to say yes and when to say no so that we can accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. So that's our physical side, right? There was a physical side to enduring this attack. They had to be prepared physically. They had to be uh, uh, healthy, so they had the endurance. They had to have the skills to fulfill the mission, and they had to be able to set the boundaries so that they could fulfill the mission. Now let's talk about the spiritual side. Let's talk about holding up a sword. So we're going to have the trowel in one hand. We're going to put the effort in. We're going to do the work. We're going to take care of our bodies. We're going to be good stewards. We're going to set some boundaries. We're going to learn a new skill. And we're going to go do something great for God. But at the same time, we're going to be holding a sword in the other hand. Right? We're going to be ready for spiritual warfare. Remember, the enemy is never flesh and blood. Right? I feel the need to repeat that because we live in a day and age where we seem to be making enemies out of people. Right? If you're a Republican, then the Democrats are the enemy. If you're a Democrat, then the Republicans are the enemy. If you're, if you're on this side of the issue, then the people on that side of the issue are the enemy. And we seem to be doing this. Listen, the enemy is not flesh and blood. And so in the Old Testament, the enemy was flesh and blood. And so they fought wars, and they fought physical wars, and people died, and people gave their lives. In the New Testament that we live in, under the covenant we have with Jesus Christ, the enemy is never flesh and blood. The enemy is not people. Now, the enemy might use people to be a problem in your life, and you might have to set a boundary against that person, but that doesn't mean that that person is your enemy. They are not. So when we take stories from the Old Testament that involve warfare, and we transfer them into our New Testament lives, we need to understand that we're talking about spiritual warfare. We are not talking about praying against people or fighting people or making people our enemies. We're talking about fighting the real enemy, which is the devil and his evil spirits. Amen? Let's talk about spiritual warfare. First thing is this. We will not put our swords down. We will not put our swords down. 
Right? The Bible says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We need to have that sword. We need to have the Word of God in our lives. And we will not put our swords down. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 23 says, So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of God who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even to the water. What is he talking about here? He's talking about bath time. Okay, that's what he's talking about. He says, when it's time to take a bath, when it's time to go down to the river to get cleaned up, he says, we're not even going to take our clothes off when we take a bath. That's how prepared we're going to be. They're in the water with their clothes on. They're going to soap up their clothes. It's like they're doing laundry and taking a bath at the same time because they're going to be prepared for spiritual warfare. And they brought their swords with them to the water. Why? Because they declared, we're not going to put our swords down. No matter where we go, we're going to be ready for some warfare. Right? And so they said, when we went to bed, our swords were still clipped on while we were sleeping. When we're on the wall, we're still holding the swords when we're working. When we're carrying a load of rocks to the wall, we still have our sword in the other hand. No matter what's going on, we will not put our swords down. And so Kauai Bible Church, as a people, we are going to declare we're going to be ready for warfare at any moment. We are not going to put our swords down, right? We're not going to take it off when we go to bed. We're not going to take it off in the shower. We're not going to take it off when we go to work. Well, you know, when I'm at work, I don't really want to be a Christian because that's kind of awkward at work. No, we're going to take our sword to work because if we need to do warfare at work, we're going to do warfare at work. We're not going to put our swords down. Listen, this is why scripture memory is so important. All right, scripture memory is not just some cheesy old school Christianese task where we just memorize scriptures because our group leader told us to. No, we memorize scriptures so that we always have our sword with us. So that no matter where we are, in any circumstance, we can declare the word of God against any spiritual opposition that's coming against us because we've got our swords on and we're not going to put our swords down. I ran into a Christian couple at, at Kalaheo Cafe one morning, and I was chatting with them, and I was sharing something, and she said this, and I don't know if she got it from somewhere else, but it just struck me as she was talking about praying and being passionate about prayer, and she was like, you know, we shouldn't go to bed without some blood on our sword. Whoo, and I like that. I don't know. I just got me all fired up. We shouldn't go to bed without some blood on our sword. Right, if, if we've gone through the day and we haven't done any spiritual warfare, we've gone through the day and we haven't prayed against any of the forces of darkness, we haven't declared any healing, we haven't declared any victory, we, if we go to bed and we haven't done that, come on, we haven't fulfilled our duty for the day. We are not going to put our swords down and we're not going to go to bed without a little blood on our sword. Come on, are you guys with me? Come on, there's some spiritual warfare in this place. Whew. And second one. We will fight for each other as God fights for us. Nehemiah 4.19, I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and our God will fight for us. Right? He says, listen, I know we're separated into 42 different teams around the city of Jerusalem. But wherever the attack comes, we're going to blow the trumpet, and I want everyone to come to the trumpet, and we're going to fight for each other as God fights for us. So come on, can we do that as a people? Anytime a trumpet sounds, come on, my brother or sister in the church is sick. The trumpet has sounded. Let's go fight for them. 
Come on, my brother or sister in the church, their marriage has fallen apart. The trumpet has sounded. Let's go fight for them. Come on, my brother or sister in the church, they're, they're, they're falling away from the Lord. They're, they're slipping back into addiction. Come on, the trumpet has sounded. Let's get there and pray for them. Let's fight for each other while God fights on our behalf. Amen? Anytime somebody in the church sounds the trumpet, I need help. I'm trying to do a great thing for God. My family's falling apart. Come on, I lost my job. I, I, I'm sick. I need a breakthrough. Come on, whenever a trumpet sounds, we're going to fight for each other while God fights for us. And the last thing is this. We will not come down from the wall. We will not come down from the wall. Come on, we need to declare this. We will not come down from the wall. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 3. Sanballat and, and Geshem send a message to Nehemiah. You need to come out here and talk to us. Right? This is their latest strategy after they mocked them and discouraged them and wanted to, to come in and do a full-on assault against them. This is their latest strategy is let's just get Nehemiah away from his task. Let's get him out here to come talk to us. And, then of course, if he comes out here, we're not going to talk to him. We're really just going to kill him. But that's okay. Let's get him to come talk. And in verse 3, Nehemiah's answer was this. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I cannot come down to you. This is too great of a work. I am not going to stop. Come on, let me have the, the worship team come back up today. This is too great of a work, and I cannot stop. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to get sidetracked. I'm not going to listen to the lies of the enemy. I'm not going to get fooled into a place that's going to cause me to stumble and fall. I am not going to come down from the wall. Why? Because I'm doing too great of a work. Well, we need to make this declaration. I'm not going to come down from the wall. And we need to speak this to whatever's trying to get you away from the great things of God. Whatever it is. If it's gossip... Hey, come over here. I got some great news through the coconut wireless. I need to tell you what's going on. No, you know what? I'm not going to come down from the wall for your gossip. I'm doing too great of a work. Facebook says, hey, why don't you come scroll through me for the next hour and a half? No, Facebook. I'm not going to come down from the wall. I'm doing too great of a work. Come on, the next time pornography comes calling and pornography wants you to give in to the sin and the lust of the images on your computer screen and you're going to say, no, pornography, I'm not going to come down off the wall. I'm doing too great of a work. Come on, the next time that alcohol or some other drug wants to call you back to the old life and you're going to say, no, addiction, I'm not going to come off the wall. I'm doing too great of a work. Come on, the next time bitterness wants to make you stay away from church or to stay away from your Christian brothers and sisters you're going to say no bitterness I'm doing too great of a work I'm going to forgive and I'm going to stay on this wall I'm not going to come off of this wall come on whatever the distraction is no you unruly toddler I'm not going to come off the wall I'm doing a great thing for God come on some of you are feeling me on that one all right we still got to take care of our families but we can do a great thing for God and not use our family as an excuse to keep us from the great things for God Come on, somebody wants to come spread lies? No, lies. I'm doing too great a work. I'm not going to come down off the wall. Come on, we are going to be a people of spiritual warfare. We're not going to come down. We're not going to get distracted. We're not going to stop. We're going to endure the attacks of the enemy because we're going to see the great things accomplished. Amen? Amen. This is what I'm going to do today. 
The Holy Spirit gave this to me on Tuesday morning as we were praying. You know we're preaching on Nehemiah, and then you walk into church, and everybody's got a brick underneath their chair. You know pastor's up to something. This is what I want to do right now. We're going to go into a time of prayer. And as you pray, I want you to ask the Lord, what is the great work that's going to keep me on the wall? What is the great work that's going to keep me on the wall? What is the great thing? What is the passion that's bubbling inside of me? What is the brokenness that's crying out to do something? What is the thing that God has put inside of me? And here's what we're going to do today. We're going to build a wall together as a church. And so everybody's got a brick under their chair. And then every household should have at least one Sharpie under there. You're going to have to share with your spouses and your kids and stuff. And this is what we're going to do. Whatever it is that God puts on your heart, I want you to write it on the brick. But you got to write it on the skinny part of the brick right here. Not, not the top, but the skinny part. That means depending on how skilled you are with a Sharpie, you're only going to be able to fit two, maybe three words on there. So whatever it is that God is birthing in your hearts, you're going to have to condense it down to two or three words. Maybe it's a nation that he's putting on your heart, and you'll write the nation on the brick. That's a scary thing to do because you're like, oh, dear Lord, he might send me to that nation. That's all right. If that's what he's putting on your heart, then you write that nation on there. Maybe there's a people group that God is putting on your hearts. Maybe there's an oppressed people that God is putting on your hearts. Maybe it's a group of people like single moms, and you're going to write single moms on there because God is putting single moms on your heart. Maybe it's men coming out of prison, and you're going to write men prison on there. Right? Maybe it's a certain ministry that God has put on your heart. Maybe it's, maybe it's your school campus that God has put on your hearts. But whatever it is that he's putting on your heart, I want you to write it right there on the brick. And then as we're worshiping together here at the end of service, I'm just going to invite everybody to come up when you've written your thing. And I'm going to invite you to come up here and place the brick on the wall. And we're going to build the wall together. Tony's going to come up here and help us just in case so we don't, our wall doesn't fall down. Nobody accidentally knocks the wall over. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. We're going to accomplish great things for God. We're not going to keep our dreams in the dark anymore. We're not going to keep our passions hidden anymore. We're going to build a wall. I don't know what I'm going to do with this wall. Maybe I can get somebody who actually knows how to build a wall to concrete it all together. And we'll put this wall somewhere in the church here so that we can all pray over it. All the great things that we're going to accomplish together. Come on, Lord, speak to us today. Speak to us today, Lord. What's the great work you've put upon our heart? What's the passion that you've designed us for? What's the victory that you've given us that we now want to give to other people? Jesus. Where does the gospel need to go to the nations? Who are the oppressed people groups that need deliverance? What are the ministries that need to happen on Kauai? Come on, where does the light need to shine? What are the schools that need to be reached? The communities, the neighborhoods. Jesus, speak to us. Give us a ministry, Lord. Drop it into our hearts. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for that, Jesus. Speak to us today, Lord. We'll commit to it. We'll expect great things from you, but Lord, we're going to attempt to do great things for you. And we're going to start by writing those things on these bricks. We declare this in Jesus' name.
Amen.